0: Good day to you hope you're having a wonderful day we are ready for our summary of ephesians i'm hoping i'm getting better at these i'm hoping this will show kind of the the flow of uh, logical thought that thinking uh, <laughs> that paul was thinking <laughs> that uh, he was teaching he was teaching these things and i, I want i'm hoping i'm capturing the essence of his teaching. Sometimes the language is very flowery or there's a lot of verbiage that kind of distracts sometimes from the simple meaning that a lot of things has and um, when we get it wrapped up into that sometimes we lose that that clear concise meaning that Paul is really trying to convey. So um. I'm going to start with uh, chapter one now. I will read. I'll be reading some verses, and I am reading in the Amplified Bible. But this is going to be a summary of Ephesians, so I'm not going to read every chapter, every verse, and uh, I'm just going to try to, you know, give us the ideas that Paul was trying to express. And these are main ideas. It could be that I'm, I do not express some. Minor point or some minor thing, and if, uh, you know, I, it's possible I could miss something as well because I am human, but I tried to make sure that I was catching everything. There's a lot of good teaching in Ephesians, especially when you get back in the last few chapters, it's a lot, and so I had to, I had to write a lot. (laughs) Okay, alright, so uh, bear with me. So, Ephesians chapter one. Paul starts with a greeting, and he says we are blessed with all spiritual blessings. Now, and this is in verse 3. Blessed and worthy of praise be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ. And then he goes on from there, and he's talking about we are predestined. Now, that doesn't mean that we have a destiny that we cannot escape. That we have no free will. It does not mean we don't have free will. It means that God has prepared and planned. A place for all of us. He wants everyone saved. He wants everyone to turn to him. To be his child as they were meant to be. And that's what they were created for. We were all created to be his children. And that's the whole idea. And so we we have all been predestined. Pre-chosen. Pre-selected. As in. Everyone, no one was left out. If you turn to God, he has a place for you, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, etc. Now, of course, moving forward, we do have to change and be better. But at that point, at that point, when you turn to God, God accepts you as you are with all your flaws. And and that is just the way it is. Now, moving forward, yeah, we do we do have to change. We have to try to be better and learn and do better. But, initially He accepts you as you are. He loves you. He wants you to be saved. He wants you to be in heaven with Him. You are predestined, preselected. You are. He has a place for you. He has a place for all of us. And that's that's what the predestined means. That used to be confusing to me when I was younger. And um, there was a time anyway when I was younger that it was very confusing. Um, but when you take time and, and read through it, and if you can get past some of, like I used to read in the old King James all the time, if you can get past some of that language that is a barrier, you'll you will, you will come to understand what is being said so much better. So <clears throat> Paul also continues. He mentions that he's heard of their faith, and um, he prayed He prays for them to have more wisdom and revelation of God. Now, when you read this and when I read this, um, I'm going to alternate back and forth between saying he's telling them and teaching them and, and he's teaching us and telling us. Because really from our viewpoint, this is God's word to us. So he's teaching us and instructing us. But Paul's letter was to them and he was teaching them. But it is also for us. Okay, now, that's just, that's just the way that is. That's the way it is. So sometimes I'm going to say it one way. Sometimes I'm going to say it another. I'll, I'll try to be more consistent. But, but as far as his prayer for them, and you can take that as his prayer for us as well, that they would have more wisdom and revelation of God. But definitely he prayed that for them, and you can take that as a, as a prayer for us too and um down towards the the end of the chapter he mentions that Christ has been given all authority and is um everything is subject to him everything is under his feet which means that everything is in um <clears throat> Under Christ's rule or under His authority, it is subject to Him. We are subject to Him as, as uh, the Church and as His body. We are subject to the authority of Christ. And as we continue on to uh, Chapter Two, we are also made alive in Christ, and we have been raised. We have been raised with Christ, so we are, at one time, we are, we are under authority of Christ, we are under the authority of Christ, but we are also in Christ and we are raised with him, so we also, at least on this earth and in this life, we also have that authority in our life and in our, in our, um, in our world. Now, that doesn't mean that um, I can speak the moon out of existence or anything crazy, okay? (laughs) But it means that spiritually, we have that authority in our lives through, now only through Jesus, okay? Only through Jesus, only through Christ, but we have that authority in our lives to control our lives and make our decisions and do what? Um, What we choose to do. And spiritually, I mean, I choose to follow Jesus. I choose to follow God. And that is a choice we have to make. It's a choice we make every day, whether we realize it or not. It is. So, but we are made spiritually alive in Christ through, um, through acknowledging <clears throat> Jesus as our Savior and being baptized. We are raised with Him. We are saved by our faith. Now this is all Paul's teaching to us or to the Ephesians or to both the Ephesians and us in this chapter. We are saved by faith and not by works. And that faith is a gift of God because we don't do anything when we first hear and believe. We're not really doing anything except just listening, Uh, maybe reading, depends on Depends on how you first hear. Um, but, um, you know, it's a free gift of God. All of that is. Uh, and remember, we need to remember, he reminds, he reminds us, that we, we were so far from God. We were, at one point in time, we were in the world, in our sin, away from God. And we are brought to God through Jesus. Through Jesus, we are citizens of God. God's kingdom and we are children, the children of God. Now let's see, um, so that is in chapter 2. Now I didn't, I, I forgot to do the verse and I apologize for that because I didn't write the verse down for some reason. But he says in, in verse 11, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles by birth who were called uncircumcision by those who called themselves circumcision, you know, itself a mere mark which is made in the flesh by human hands, remember that at that time you were separated from Christ, excluded from any relationship with him, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant covenants of promise, you know, we had no share or anything with God, and I'm, I'm reading on down into chapter 12 because that's such a long, another long sentence, but it's just, just reminding us that we were so far, we were separated from God, we had no way to reach God without Jesus. And that's, that's a huge point here. Um, but now, also part of that point is now we are alive. We are made spiritually alive in Jesus and uh, and that we are a part of His people. we are his citizen. We are a, a citizen of his kingdom and a child of God. So now then in chapter three, Paul explains that his ministry, he is appointed to bring the gospel to the Gentiles, and that now the Gentiles and the Jews are joint heirs. So um, let's see. So in verse one, for this reason, because I preach that you and believing Jews are joint heirs, heirs, I'm sorry, heirs, I Paul am the prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was entrusted to me to share with you for your benefit, and that by divine Revelation, the mystery was made known to me as I have already written in brief. Now he's already written something in brief that was given to them, but nonetheless, those are that's the first couple of verses there and explains that he is He is God's apostle to the Gentiles, that His ministry is to the Gentiles, and that's his stewardship and that He is teaching how the Gentiles, how we are joint heirs with the Jews. Um, he prayed he prayed that that they and we would be firmly planted in God's love and would understand the expanse, the fullness of God's love. Now that let me see if I can slide down and find that quickly. I may not be able to find it quickly but anyway that we would know, The length, the height, the depth, the width of God's love. You know, that was, that was the whole idea he wanted us to know. He wanted us to be firmly, um, planted in God's love and to know the expanse, you know, just how great God's love was so that, so that we will be filled, so that we will be filled with God. so that we'll be filled with God, God's love, the love of God, the spirit of God, so that we would have that. And that leads into the next chapter, chapter 4, where Paul encourages us to live with godly character. In verse 1, So I, the prisoner for the Lord, appeal to you to live a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called, and that is to live a life that exhibits godly character, moral courage, personal integrity, and mature behavior, a life that expresses gratitude to God for your salvation. Verse 2, With all humility, forsaking self-righteousness and gentleness, not forsaking gentleness, but with all humility and gentleness, maintaining self-control, with patience, bearing with one another in unselfish love. So, that is our call. And then that's a general call, but that's a call for all of us as Christians. He reminds us in this chapter that there is one God, one faith, one baptism. There are no divisions. All these man made, made up divisions, just, just, just blot that out and ignore that. There is no division. There is only one God and one faith and one baptism. Okay? That's just the way it is. Um, he teaches that he teaches also in this chapter, as you go down, that uh, we each have different talents and roles and gifts, and we are all different. We we do things differently. There's um, uh, there's also different roles. We have evangelists and teachers and preachers and. All of that, and he goes, he doesn't go into great detail, but he mentions that there's all these, but we all work together to build and edify the body of Christ, to build the church, to, to build each other up. To work, we're all working toward the same purpose, to edify each other and help each other to get to heaven. That's, that's the whole goal. The whole goal is to um, follow Jesus and be with be with God, and you know in that way we will we will do all the right things, we will do the correct things. You know He encourages us to not live. Also in this chapter, he encourages us and and the Ephesians, to not live as the worldly do, to not, you know don't continue living as you did in the past, don't continue. Practicing the same things as you did as an unbeliever, you know, put off your old nature, your old selfish, sinful self, and um, and it takes time. This is something you work at, and you do, but be be uh, renewed, be renewed in your mind, in your spirit, in your heart in God, you know, um, and you do that through the Word of God. That's that's how we do that. We study the Word of God. We learn. We renew our mind and our spirit, our heart, and we, we put off that old, those old practices. We, we break those old habits, and we move forward with new habits, and we, we speak the truth. He, he gives some e- e- good examples here. We speak the truth. We can be angry and do not sin. He knows we're going to be angry. There's times we're going to be angry. There's times you're going to be angry, and you're going to be wrong to be angry. Now, that's going to happen. There's times you're going to be angry and you're going to be justified. You're going to be correct to be angry. But either way, don't sin. Be angry and don't sin. If you're angry. Now, because one thing, I don't know about you, when I get angry, I have to really try to evaluate why I'm angry and try to figure out, am I even correct to be angry to begin with? (laughs) Or should I just not even be angry to begin with? Because I don't really have a good reason, you know. So, you know, there's going to be times you have real, true, righteous anger, and that's okay. But still, don't sin. Even then, don't sin. Don't, you know, don't do something incorrect just because something incorrect was done to you. So, we speak the truth. We're to be angry and not sin. If you were a thief, let's say you come to God, and you were a thief well you can't you can't continue to be a thief you've got to you know I, I wrote down get a job <laughs> but you know you need to make an honest living you need to you need to do something that's proper Paul Paul says it like you know let the thief steal no more and work with your hands and that's great that's a good idea do something else okay do something make an honest living um, so when you come To the Lord, that's one thing you're going to find about putting off the old self. These old practices, if they were, you know, if they involve stealing or being dishonest, you know, you need to not do those. You need to be honest, have integrity, and and not not steal. It sounds simple, but I I realize that for at least for some people, it may not be as simple as just saying that. It's, It's it's some work. It's something that has to change. So we only we should only speak he goes on we should only speak what is edifying to others we should abstain from you know foul language and speech so we should speak what is edifying and what is good for others. that doesn't mean you can't pass just normal information or just have a friendly talk but he's meaning to uh, you know stay away from the, the the vulgar profane stuff and and um you know, and try to abstain from any other foul intending language, you know, sometimes it's not how we say it, it's what we're saying, because sometimes what we're intending is just not, um, not good. If you think of, like, gossiping and busybody and stuff like that, some of that's not good either, so be kind and helpful, instead we should be kind and helpful and forgiving, we should put away any strife and resentment and animosity from our old self, we should just let that go and get rid of that. And we should try to be kind and helpful and forgiving to everyone. <clears throat> so he's telling us all this, you know. Um, for instance, in chapter 4, I want to give you this verse here that. Um, I think it was verse seventeen. So this I say and solemnly affirm together with the Lord as in his presence, that you must no longer live as the unbelieving Gentiles live, in the futility of their minds and in the foolishness and emptiness of their souls. For their moral understanding is darkened and their reason is clouded. Now I did continue on into eighteen there, but it's important that we realize that when you when you're living in unbelief, that you know you're it's true that your um, your understanding is darkened and your reasoning is clouded. It's clouded. Your whole judgment is clouded by selfish motives and by a lot of times. Um, you, know, you know, I say selfish motives, but a lot of times, you know, desires to do things that are are just not right. I guess that is selfish motives, though. But anyway, I guess that goes hand in hand. It's all it's all the same, but. It's hard to see that when you, when you can't pull back and, and think, of, think of others more than of yourself. It, it's difficult to, to see that. Alright, so, but he's encouraging us throughout this chapter to put off our old self. The old man, as we say, used to say a lot, we'd say, you know, put away the old man, renew your mind in Christ, you know, study the word and move forward in love, walking in love, and being kind and helpful and forgiving to others. And that takes us into uh, chapter 5, and if we read chapters 1 and 2, Paul basically tells us to imitate God and walk in love. So, verses 1 and 2, Therefore become imitators of God, copy him and follow his example, as well-beloved children imitate their father. And walk continually in love, that is, value one another, practice empathy and compassion, unselfishly seeking the best for others, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and sacrifice to God, slain for you, so that it became a sweet fragrance. It's hard for me to think of that as a sweet fragrance. But nonetheless, the idea here is that, You know, we should be imitators of God and imitators of Christ, and we should be walking in love, and we should value each other, we should have compassion and empathy for each other, and we should unselfishly seek what is best for each other. That's the best I can do, and that's what we should do to walk in love. Now Paul continues telling us, um, and the Ephesians here, to not be sexually immoral or greedy in private or public it's it doesn't matter don't do either it's it's not good it doesn't look good for us but it's just not good for us it's it's not good for your soul your spirit your heart Uh, don't participate in um, worldly sin don't uh, have you know again he mentions you know no vulgar jokes and and uh, silly talk of, you know, coarse stuff. He's talking about bad things. Not, it's not that we can't be a little silly and enjoy each other's company. It's just that you know how the world will be and, and the language that will be used and the things they will talk about. And it's not that it's not, it can be funny and silly, but some of it is really just too coarse, too obscene, and, and it's not something that we should uh, participate in, like I say. Um he compares, Paul compares what he's comparing what the world does to what we should do in this chapter as well. You know, we shouldn't participate in worldly sin, as I mentioned. Um, instead, we should maintain godly moral integrity. And if you look at verse 15, let me scroll down Therefore, see that you walk carefully living life with honor, purpose, and courage, shunning those who tolerate and enable evil, not as the unwise but as wise, sensible, intelligent, discerning people. And then he goes on to say, making the very most of your time and and that's true. We should be living um, <clears throat> we should be living a uh, godly, honorable life making the most of our time and how would we make the most of our time by spending that in spiritual uh in spiritual things doing you know good things with godly character and more integrity um he, he says you know let's you know, do not be drunk and i think he specifically says drunk with wine but i'll just say you know don't be drunk don't be Foolish minded and follow in the worldly ways. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Instead, always be, you know, always have thankfulness and praise in your heart to the Lord. That's part of what he's telling us here. And then he moves on to start talking about marriage. Now, he's trying to touch on, I think, all the important aspects of life. So as we move past, this is where I think we maybe should have had a chapter break and we didn't get one. So, whatever. I think there should have been seven chapters. Our our sixth chapter should have been about the family (laughs) and then had the end. That's just me. Don't worry about that. Anyway, so here we move on and he's gonna go on and talk about the family now. So he's he's told us to live, you know, a life with godly integrity, you know, and to not, you know, not be not be caught up in worldly worldly stuff and 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 they're drinking and all that, and to instead have thankfulness and praise in their heart. And, you know, he's, he's telling us how to not be like the world. Um, He teaches how marriage is like, now we're continuing on, okay? Continuing on, he starts, in verse 22, he starts with wives, okay? But what he's really teaching us is how marriage is like Christ and the church, how husbands should... Really, it's how husbands and wives should love and respect one another. But husbands, we have the responsibility to love and care for and, um, and even, you know, make that sacrifice, whatever that needs to be for our wives and for our families. You know, just like Jesus, He's the head of the church and He gave Himself up for the church. He gave and sacrificed everything for us. You know, when we are going to be the husband and the father, We need to take on that responsibility and uh, take it very seriously and realize that we need to be the one to, we have to set the example, we have to, you know, do the right things, we have to make the right decisions, we have to, um, sometimes the right decision is to let your wife make the decision because sometimes she's going to know better or know what is necessary more so than you do. That's just that's just life, you know. My wife knows things I don't know. I know things she doesn't know. I gladly just say, um, you know what? I'll follow you on that. I'll go with whatever you thinks right. You know, that's there's nothing wrong with that. You don't have to be, you know, a a, a what a micromanager and a and a, and a taskmaster and uh, a control freak. You can. You know, you can, you can love and respect one another and say, hey, you know, you've got that stuff, I know you've got that, whatever that may be, and then I've got this stuff and I'll take care of that. And we'll just, you know, be a team, be a good team, have mutual love and respect for one another, but realize that ultimately that the husband and the father is the one that has to uh, take the responsibility and make... Make that, take that on their shoulders and make that their responsibility and make the sacrifices necessary and do what is needed for the family to make sure everything works. Okay, now the wife, likewise, you know, should love and respect her husband and should care about him and and take care of him and make sure that she is giving him the proper respect and honor. But that goes both ways husband has to also love and honor and cherish his wife and take care of her the way Christ does the church. And that means you give everything to them if you need to, you know, or you just do, you just give everything to them. You want them to have everything. Okay. I I don't know how else to say it. All right. So, so he does get into that with husbands and wives and how we should, uh, how we should be towards one another. And then we go to the final chapter in chapter 6, and at the very beginning of this, Paul talks about children. Children, obey your parents and the Lord. Well, of course, that's great. That's in verse 1. Children should obey their parents and accept them as, hey, this is, this is the person in authority over me. They will lead and guide me and keep me safe. It's not... Supposed to be taken. Sometimes it's taken. The parental role is presented from others or by others, as almost being a uh, a a bad author, authoritarian role model, as if you're somehow being mean and cruel. But what? And I'm gonna I'm gonna say for most normal. Parents, Okay, I realize there is a small percentage of people who just aren't correct. Okay, I can't do anything about that. So I'm just speaking about normal, everyday people. We want, we love our children. We want what's best for our children. Our goal is to keep them safe. Our goal is to teach them how to stay safe and how to make you know, progress in the world, how to learn and do things. Now I don't mean progress like worldly progress, but I mean how to how to grow, how to mature, how to work, how to have a job. You know, we want to teach them all that we can teach them. We want to teach them about God. We want to teach them how to be with others and how you um, how you love others through God, through the Word of God. And we want to teach them all those things. We want to bring them up in in the Word of God. Now, you know, that's what we want to do. We want to teach them that. We want to teach them those things. And we do want them to obey us because the reason children need to obey their parents, especially the younger they are, the more this is true, it's for safety. That's just like we need to obey God. A lot of times, it's for our own good. It's just for safety. Okay? But we won't go into all that. But nonetheless, as parents, we need to not Frustrate our children, okay, especially fathers, because I think fathers have the, um, um you know, higher percentage <laughs> of of times that we do that—that that maybe we frustrate our children. But you know, don't frustrate your child by being super nitpicky and and you know and be, uh, you know, crazy. You know, don't provoke them to anger. Don't exasperate them. Um, you know, don't don't humiliate your children. You know, be, be loving, don't be abusive, but definitely, you know, definitely you do have to have, um, people right now are getting away from this, well, not everyone, there, there are some people who are getting away from this and I think it's bad. You, your child needs structure. Now, and I'm, I'm going to tell you this because it comforts your child and it lets them know that you are keeping them safe. It makes them feel safe if they have structure. If they have like simple things like a bedtime, a time they get up, things that they do at particular times, you know, like you have regular meals. Now and I know this is not very cool nowadays, this does not happen a lot. And 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 you can't do all you can't do everything perfectly all the time. I understand that, so I'm not saying that. But as much as is possible, have good structure, you know, and have good you know, um, a good rhythm to your life where you do certain things at certain times and it's pretty steady, the more steady and structured and normal your life is, the happier your child will be. The more chaotic your life is, then the more scary life is for the child, the, the, the more confusing it is and the harder it is for them to cope and understand. So I'm just throwing that out there because it's true. Okay, I'm not trying to be mean. It's just a fact. Um, that's why we have certain uh, spiritual rules we live by and things that we do. Um, it's it's a lot a lot of God's a lot of God's rules. A lot of the uh, things that we think of as commandments were to keep us safe. Were to keep people safe. So. And that's, that's part of structure. Having a good structure to your life keeps your child safe and it lets them know that there's this certain rhythm and pattern they know what to expect. It's just safer and more comforting and easier on them. Alright, so I'm going to move on past that. So we should not, though, children should obey their parents and we should not be abusive to our children. We should love them and care about them. Yes, there's going to be times where we're probably going to have to punish them because they're going to do something That they shouldn't have done, and they knew better and they did it anyway. That's gonna happen. Try to find what works for your child, you know, and and punish them appropriately, and try not to be crazy and frustrate them or humiliate them. Okay? So then Paul moves on from that relationship, the family relationship, to slaves and masters. And you can also equate this, even though it's not exactly the same thing, but it is In this sense, it is equatable or equitable to employers and employees, in that, you know, slaves should be obedient to their masters. In other words, we, whoever we work for, we should try to do what we should do, what what they want, what they request of us. That's why, it's one of the reasons he says to not be unequally yoked with non believers in, in the previous, one of the previous epistles, is because. You don't want to have someone that is your boss making demands on you that are against, you know, your beliefs because you can't really do that. But nonetheless, normally, under normal conditions, as an employee, you would, you know, you would do what your boss wants. You would, you would do your work well and work as if you were working for Christ. And uh, if you are the employer, you turn, you flip that around and you should treat your employees well. Um, you should not be threatening and abusive, and you should be, um, you should pay them, you know, you should pay them properly. You should do everything towards each other properly at all times, so whether you're the employer or the employee. And I'm kind of skipping over the master and slave part because we don't really have that nowadays, and we haven't had for a good while. Um, now, there may be parts of the world where that still goes on that I'm not aware of. I'm just not aware of it, so... Then Paul goes into, because I think he's pretty much done with that, and he says, In conclusion, this is verse 10, in conclusion, be strong in the Lord. So he says, Put on the whole armor of God. And he goes to tell us about the armor of God and how, you know, and he he doesn't even go into great super detail, okay? But he does tell us to use this to stand up against all the schemes and strategies and the deceits of the devil. Now everything about the armor of God, it all relates to and comes from uh, the word of God in some manner. Because you have to have the gospel, you have to have your feet firmly planted in the gospel, in God's word to be able to stand. And then you have to have the other parts which also come from you knowing, like the breastplate plate of righteousness you don't know how to be righteous if you don't have the word of God and you don't know to pray and you know repent for the wrong and then continue on and stay righteous in good standing with God by repenting you know we should always repent because even sometimes even when we don't know it we we may have done something so we should always repent and say if there's something Lord that I've done just show me I, I didn't mean to do it you know um If you'll show me what it is, we can work on that, and and I can get that changed, but uh, forgive me for anything like that that I may have done. And then if you know you've done something for sure, then you say, I am so very sorry, and and I I really do repent, and I want you to help me not do that anymore. I want to not do that. And you move on from there. And it's a daily. This is, this is a daily thing. This is just all the time. We, we, we go through this because we're not perfect. We're just flawed human beings. Nonetheless, um, so he tells us to put on the whole armor of God, which includes the belt of... I'm, I'm going to shortcut this, okay? This is the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the uh, gospel of peace would be like that's that's on our feet that's like our shoes you can think of it or however you want to think of that. The shield of faith and the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. Now the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God and we need to use the Word of God as our weapon to defeat the enemies in our lives. Now the enemies in our lives are basically um, Satan and all the bad things that that come from him which to my mind all the things that come from him come you know or are, are you can kind of equate to your your old man your old human selfish desires but too there's fear uh, there's worry there's anxiety there's depression all these negative things that are used against you to take over your life to rule your life those are the things you want to fight with the sword of the spirit the word of God and don't let those things rule over you instead recognize the blessings of God and be thankful and grateful and be positive about those things now and I'm not talking about in a worldly way oh just be positive and it'll be better I mean seriously really If you believe in God, and you believe in his blessings, and you believe in your salvation, then regardless of what happens here, it won't really matter. But you can also look at things here in a much more positive light, and in a much better way, and all that, the world does have that part right, in that if you're positive, if you sow seeds of good and positive, you will reap positive results. I mean that's that's a godly law, a godly principle um, and that's just the way things work. No matter what we do, if we exercise a certain muscle, it grows and builds and gets stronger. And if you exercise a certain um, um, let's see, a certain thought process, a certain um, emotion if you exercise that a lot, it gets stronger. People who are angry all the time and get angry a lot they're they're increasing their anger they're strengthening it they're increasing it if you practice loving and caring you will love and care and you will strengthen that more and more it's just it's that godly principle it's the way God made things and that's the way it works so here if we take the sword of spirit and we fight those negative things with the Word of God okay which the word of God is about the positive things. It's about peace and love and kindness and caring and and uh, giving and helping. <clears throat> pardon me, helping one another. I almost choked on my own spit. That's pretty bad, but nonetheless, um, if we practice those things, they will become stronger and better, and they will, you know, that's how we will rule our lives through God's word through practicing those those good things, those good traits. And that includes also being truthful and, and a lot of other things. That's moral integrity. So if we look at verses 18 and 19 here, um, with all prayer and petition, pray with specific requests at all times, on every occasion and in every season, in the Spirit and with this in view, stay alert with all perseverance and petition, interceding in prayer for all God's people, and pray for me, that words may be given to me when I open my mouth to proclaim boldly the mystery of the good news of salvation. So Paul is asking for us to pray, pray for all, you know, each other, all the believers, all of God's people, and to pray for him, or we could say that's to pray for our ministers and our evangelists and the people that we know, that they may be able to, to boldly speak and be understood and you know proclaim the gospel to others in a successful manner. And then finally finally to close the letter, Paul says he sent in Tychicus, and I, I don't know that I'm saying that right, but that's the best I'm going to get. And he gives them uh he he says like a, a little blessing to them. And um you know grace be with all who love our lord jesus christ with undying and incorruptible love that's the final the final sentence the final verse of of the letter and so that is paul's teachings and instructions to the ephesians which is significantly different than some of the others we've read it's like the ephesians were further along they were more spiritually grown and growing and so paul While he touched on some basic stuff, he also, I feel like he also tried to express some more meaningful and deeper things to them. Because if you just go through, I mean, some of this stuff seems like it would be normal, common, you know, everybody would know that, but you got to remember at the time this was written, probably they didn't. this was thousands of years ago. Probably everybody didn't know that. They didn't know uh, how to be necessarily in a Christian-loving relationship and how they should be with their family and their their wives and their children. And, and you know, they they probably didn't know at that time. They probably just did whatever they saw everybody else doing and what they saw their parents do, and that's what they thought they were supposed to do. Um, and that's probably the way a lot of things were happening and going on, is everybody was following the example of their parents. You know, we still do a large amount of that now. Um, so it's not unusual. But Paul was teaching them to really walk in love, to really focus on living a godly life, and to have good integrity, and to put away the old selfish, sinful nature, and to move forward and to. Um, fight, fight the spiritual fight using the Word of God and protecting ourselves with our faith in that Word of God, with the shield of faith. So, all right. So that is my summary of Ephesians. I hope that is helpful to you. Hope you have a wonderful day. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and remember, God loves you.